I'm going to preach tonight a testimonial sermon that I believe many, many folks here and uh, watching online will relate to, though the message is for every person here tonight. And um, I would ask you to pay attention enough where if you were asked a question of the points that I gave that you could at least name some of them, I would ask you to listen as though you were required to take a test at the end of the message. Because the truth is, when truths are preached, we are required to either uh, to accept them or we reject them and uh, we have responsibility from truth. And I would ask you to listen, maybe even uh, to write down just a few words uh, of notes. I'm preaching my prayer for our next generation. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of your word tonight. A hunger to be filled with your power. A hunger to please you. I want to finish the day and to lay down and say, Lord, I have given you my very best today. And Lord, what folks think about me or delivery doesn't matter. But Lord that the truth is delivered in a way that pleases you does matter. And so I ask you to help as we listen and as I preach. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. My typical routine for most Saturday mornings is to be in the office and prepare for several hours of counseling, usually three, sometimes four hours, and uh, most of the time I counsel with uh, married couples. A lot of time I counsel with young couples and uh, as uh, yesterday several preparing uh, for marriage uh, coming up in the next uh, few weeks. I looked at my calendar this afternoon and I counted I think about 37 such count, uh, counseling sessions thus far uh, on my calendar for this year also counsel with many of our college students that hunger to do the will of God and helping them uh, to have a direction, helping them to make wise and biblically-based decisions, uh, helping to answer their questions about serving, and then uh, dating and marriage. Some fellows wish it was more conversation about dating, but we're working on that. Uh, I counsel with young pastors in some manner most every day uh, by way of telephone or personal meetings in uh, traveling. Recently, I was praying for my children as I do and uh, going through the list of the five children and the three spouses, the one's fiancé, and then asking the Lord to bless them. And as I prayed for them after counseling, I then prayed for the many young couples uh, that I'm counseling with and having something to do uh, with their wedding. A lot of times uh, I'll do the premarital counseling and if the young lady is from another church, uh, they'll do the wedding uh, there and uh, I'll do the premarital counseling a lot of times and not do uh, the ceremony. As I prayed for these young couples and I prayed for what I'll call tonight the next generation, I pondered for a while the burden of seeing these young people going into life on their own, having to make 
their own decisions. And I'll use the word judgments, having to make their own judgments, having to face the world, having to face their own flesh, having to face the devil. Without mom and dad there uh, as a sounding board, and as one to help immediately. Sometimes I think the responsibility of caring for children and teenagers and rearing them as parents growing up is a bit easier than the burden of praying for them after they're gone. Let me say that again. I I, I want you to hear that. Uh, I, I, I think perhaps the responsibility of caring for children, and it is a responsibility as we care for our children, uh, we work hard to make sure they're fed, to make sure they're clothed, and uh, make sure they have a proper education, uh, make sure their needs are met, they get to be involved in activities. By the way, young people, you ought to be thankful for mom and dad that pay your way to activities and that take care of you. I, 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 don't, I don't think there's a family here uh, that a child has any right to be disrespectful or unthankful uh, to their parents. By the way, if you haven't expressed thankfulness, you are unthankful. The word thanksgiving is not thinking, it's an action word. It's the giving of thanks, of thanks, not thinking about being thankful. But I think the responsibility of caring for children and rearing them as children and teens growing up is a bit easier than the burden of praying for adult children uh, that are now on their own and asking God to help them to do right uh, after they're grown and as they face uh, the difficulties of life. After a time of prayer, I went to the Word of God just in my personal uh, thinking and my burdens and my praying for my children. And I went to the Word of God to find help. And I looked specifically uh, looking for encouragement, looking for instruction, looking for example. I went specifically to the Word of God looking for parents who are praying for their children, not small children or teens, but praying for their grown children. Uh, praying for their grown children. I went to the Word of God looking for that, uh, the burden, and then reading their prayers. And there's a reason God preserved their prayers for us in the Word of God. The burden of seeing uh, their children uh, going on in their life on their own, making their own judgments, facing the world on their own, facing the temptations of the flesh and the attacks of the devil on their own. I did discover several examples that were of help to me and the reason I decided uh, to say what I just said publicly and to preach this message is because of the help I receive from the adults that are praying for children who are adults and uh, they're not feeding them anymore. Uh, they're not housing them anymore. Uh, they're not having that daily interaction anymore. Uh, they don't have that accountability anymore. Uh, but they are adult people. And as I read uh, the prayers that they prayed, not just the conversations, but the prayers that they prayed, it encouraged me and it helped me. And I thought tonight uh, that it would help you. And so that's why I'm preaching publicly my prayer for our next generation. If you'll take your Bibles and go back to our text passage of 1 Chronicles 22. 
when I give Brother Young our scripture reading on a three by five card uh, before each service, he always looks at it, and the first thing he looks at is to see if there's any difficult words or names to pronounce. And uh, when I handed him the card this evening, and it said First uh, Chronicles 22, I said, this is the story of Anahithophel and their six children. And uh, I don't even know who Anahithophel is. I made that name up. And just like when I read through, making up a lot of the names. And he looked at me and I said, no, no, uh, there's no names in there. Uh, King David is here talking to his son and is also praying for his son Solomon. Now you understand we see Solomon as an adult man on his own. We see him as a king. Uh, we see him as a man that God said is the wisest man on earth. And he was so because God asked what he wanted. And he said, Lord, I don't know whether to go in or out. Uh, I'm as a child. I need your wisdom. And he said, because you haven't asked for wealth, uh, I'm going to give you not only the wisdom you asked for, I'm going to give you wealth in addition to that request. So we see Solomon as an adult. However, to David, Solomon was his son. And that never changes. It doesn't matter how old your children are. They're still your children. And you still have and you ought to have a burden for them. In the first passage of Scripture, he's having a conversation. It seems to be a man-to-man conversation between David the father. Now, David is one of the greatest men that ever lived. The Bible says of David, he was a man after God's own heart. And David wanted Solomon to know the joys and the blessings of serving God. And may I tell you, though life is not always easy, there's no greater joy than living in the will of God. And I want to tell you tonight, young people, if you've never been in the world and seen and felt and smelled the stench and the pain of sin, you don't have to go there to not want to be there. And David not only wanted Solomon to enjoy the blessings of the Lord, David didn't want Solomon to make some of the mistakes that he made. Notice again the conversation now, my son, the Lord be with thee. And I pause just one more time here to say Solomon too carried a desire for his son as we open the Proverbs and he says again and again, my son, my son. When I read of what David says to Solomon and using the words, my son, Solomon then says as he writes the Proverbs, my son, these are the Proverbs of wisdom that I've learned and copied out and I want you to have them. So he says, my son, Oh, I wish every son would listen and daughter to what I'm about to say. The Lord be with thee and prosper thou. We want that for our children, don't we? And build the house of the Lord thy God. That was the will of God. Solomon was going to get to build the temple. As he hath said of thee, only the Lord give thee wisdom and understanding. And give thee charge concerning Israel that thou mayest keep the law of the Lord thy God. Then shalt thou prosper if thou takest heed to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord charged Moses with concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. 
dread not, nor be dismayed. I want you to take your Bibles and go to the 29th chapter of 1 Chronicles. We notice what uh, David says to Solomon here in chapter 22. Notice now, if you will, in chapter 29 and go to verse number 18. David most likely has found a place of solitude. I don't know where he is when he prays the prayer. Perhaps it's in the context that I did not see. Sometimes prayers for my children are sitting outside their house early in the morning or late at night. The multitude of times my prayers have been outside their bedroom door. Many times as I've traveled and every Monday morning as I will tomorrow morning and as I leave to go preach tomorrow in Michigan, I'll pray for my children and my grandchildren and our children. So many, so many couples I've had the privilege to spend time with in premarital counseling. I want them to prosper. I want you to know the great joys. God's a good God. Here's a prayer that David prayed. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the hearts of thy people and prepare their heart unto thee. Give unto Solomon, my son, a perfect heart to keep thy commandments. By the way, a perfect heart is one that's in tune with the law of God. Perfect pitch, harmony with the law of God. A piano is tuned to a tuning fork. When he said, Lord, I pray that my son will have a perfect heart. What he means is perfect picture in tune with the law of God. Now the law never changes, so if there's any changes to be made as they sang in the song, it would be a change in us, not in the law. Give unto Solomon, my son, a perfect heart to keep thy commandments, thy testimonies, and thy statutes. And to do all these things and to build the palace for the which I had made provision. It was interesting as I read that prayer to find some of the things that I would prayed for for our children that I've counseled and that I pray for. I also want to note Job chapter 1. If you'll turn your Bibles there. We're not going to look at other prayers of fathers other than one more prayer of Jesus in a moment. But look at Job chapter 1, if you will, in verse number 5. Here's a father who loved his children. Here's a father who was convinced that a child's relationship with God is what determined their blessings of life. Can I say that again? And if I could interrupt our thinking and ask you to think of this statement as I make it in the message. He believed that a person's relationship with God is what affected and controlled the blessings of their life. I'd rather my children be right with God than to have the things of the world. I'm not saying you have to choose, but you have to choose God first. We want our families, we want our children, we want the next generation to be blessed. Oh, but if they're going to be blessed, their relationship with God has to be right. 
Job 1, verse number 5, And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sinned and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. As I continued in my thoughts and prayers for our children, the Holy Spirit brought a great comfort to me as he brought my attention to the prayer that the Lord Jesus himself prayed for those that he would leave behind before he ascended back to the Father. Take your Bibles and go to John chapter 17. Understand Jesus is praying for them they would now be on their own as he would ascend to heaven. The disciples had often made mistakes and he helped them through their failures and their faults and their, and, and their weaknesses. They would now be alone. And he is praying for them because he's no longer going to be with his disciples. He also recognized that the anger and hatred toward him, toward Christ, would now be focused toward these disciples. And so Jesus prays for his disciples. I believe the prayer also includes you and I. I believe it includes all of his children as he prays in John 17. And let's begin in verse number 13. Jesus talking to the Father about his disciples that would be alone after he ascended. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world have hated them. I don't know about you, but I hate for our children to be hated by the world. They're going to learn to deal with that. There's no need for you to try to impress the world. The unconverted world hates Christ. They hate what is right. There's no need for you to try to be like them. You can curse like them trying to fit in like Peter did, but you're not going to impress them. They hate Christ. You have to understand in this world, you're going to be of the minority group as far as the flesh is concerned. But you'd be satisfied to be on the winning side to do right in the sight of God. He says, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them. From the evil. I like that prayer that Jesus prayed for the disciples specifically at this time. And I like this prayer that you and I can pray for our children and the next generation. Verse 16, they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world... Even so have I also sent them into the world. I want to share with you the things that I prayed for your children and mine. I have that list on this card, but I've rewritten it uh, on uh, this sermon tonight. I want to give you these things in the next 12 minutes. First of all, I pray that our generation will work hard. 
I pray that they would keep themselves busy and productive working. Work is a good thing. Work is what God gave Adam when he put him in the garden. Work is not the curse. The curse made work more difficult, but work is man's purpose. Listen to me tonight. We're living in a culture that is against working. We've got to get back to having a generation of teenagers that are willing to get their hands dirty and willing to be a servant and willing to work and willing to learn a trade or a vocation or a place of service where they can care for their families by the work and the sweat of their brow. John 4, 34, Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. John 5, 17, Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. John 9, 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. You young men, look at me tonight. I'm going to tell you, if you're not willing to work, you ought to be hungry. You ought to be willing to work. You ought to have joy and pride and integrity to get up in the morning and go to work and provide for your wives and provide for your family. You be a worker. Nobody can give you integrity. Nobody can give you character. You must develop that with hard work. We need to learn to work physical work. We need to work at our spiritual work. I'm talking about don't you be so lazy you can't open a Bible and read three chapters of it in the morning. Don't you be so lazy you can't get up in the morning and spend time with God in prayer. You say it's not easy. Nobody promised that it would be easy. And I'm telling you this old country is about to go belly up and there are and, and we're absolutely working to destroy uh, those that are in leadership working to destroy this nation by teaching them not to work. America needs to get back to work. You'd be better off working for $5 an hour than you would be sitting at home letting the government give you $15 an hour. Because that $15 didn't come from the government. They don't have any money. They have to take that money from people who work or borrow it from communist China to give to you. And it's not right. It's against the word of God. We ought to be workers. We ought to work physically, spiritually. You ought to work in church work. I'm concerned for this, for this nation that thinks work is bad, work is good, work is right, work. I want to say second of all, I pray for our next generation's morals, morals. We live in a sick, wicked world in regards to morality. Immorality is on every hand. Immorality is promoted to something good and right. Christians will even sleep through church because they've spent their time entertained on television watching the filthy immorality of the world. Alcohol is promoted as right. God said a man that is deceived thereby is not wise. Gambling is promoted as something that is good and helpful to government. Do you understand? There is no way in this world it makes zero sense to use gambling against a society that desires to build a society on the home. 
this government, think about it, punishing people, taking their jobs because they won't take a vaccine against their will, taking their jobs, tearing down a statue of someone that gave their life's blood a hundred years ago and offended the feelings of some young punk today. Punks who never fought a war, never sacrificed, never gone without. They've had their little feelings hurt when they woke up at 11.30 in the morning. While the past generation gave their life's blood, they fought for this nation's independence. They walked in the cold snow with shoes and boots barely to cover their feet. They went, out, went without food and water. And this generation is so sorry. The only thing they work at is tearing down the statues of those that made America what it is. The same crowd, the same crowd promotes immorality. And immorality breaks the home in marriage. It hurts the children and steals the joy. I prayed for our generation to be moral. Be moral. Save yourself for your husband. Save yourself for your wife. Stay clean. Thirdly, I prayed that they would trust God. Live by faith. The Bible says faith is the victory that overcomes the world. When you read the prayer of David for Solomon, he prayed, he prayed for Solomon to trust God, not to trust man nor government. Do we understand how wicked and filthy, crooked our government has become today working to buy elections, giving every block of people they can divide and conquer and give welfare so they can get their vote. Do you understand? They're bankrupting our nation and we have folks today that are trusting in government. We need not trust in government nor self nor money. Our faith must be in God. Solomon wrote, Solomon wrote, the one who received this instruction from his father David. Solomon wrote, Will thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Take your Bibles and go to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is more than a meme. It's more than beautiful words on a piece of paper. It's instruction to live by. By the way, if you can't live by it in a tough day, it's not going to do you any good in a good day. Trust in the Lord, he says, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not. Don't even lean. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. I remember as a teenager, an older teenager, making a decision to have faith in God, to have faith in the promises of God, deciding if God said it, I'll build my life upon it. And there will be times when you put your faith in a promise of God that it will seem like that promise will fail you, 
but God tries us to see what is in our hearts to see if we really mean our, our faith in him and our faith in his promises. You have faith through the valley and you can rejoice on the mountaintop. I prayed that our children would keep God first. To keep him first, not just to have God in their life, but to have him first. Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added. I love that passage of scripture. He said the Gentiles seek after these things, and that's all they seek after. And he said the Father knoweth you have need of these things. I'm not dismissing them as not important. They are important. You do have to have a house to live in. You do have to have a livelihood. He said, I do understand that, but put God first. And if you'll put God first, these things will be added to you. I say tonight my prayer for the next generation is that they would put God first in their life. Make a decision that Sunday belongs to God. Make the decision Sunday belongs to God. Be faithful to Sunday school. Be faithful to the Lord's house. Be faithful to Bible study on Wednesday night, on Wednesday night, on Wednesday night. The Father knows that we need these things. Let's put God first. Counseling with a young father yesterday. I was talking about Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I said, you know, the book of Ecclesiastes is an experiment. Solomon said, I wanted to see if all of the things of the world brought joy. Solomon had the position, the power, the money to try everything that the world had to offer. And so he experienced it all. And here's what Solomon said. After experiencing everything the world has to offer, sadly, many are working to live the American dream. I got something better than the American dream, and that's the will of God. I don't dream about something that's empty. Solomon said, all of that is vain. It's zero. It's empty. It has no value. I'll tell you what has value. As he comes to the closing chapter of chapter 12, he said, fear God and your relationship with God. That's what matters most in all of the world. Keep God first. I prayed number five, they would seek wisdom and understanding. I told our young men in class, in fact, the ladies were in my class this past Thursday. I taught both men and ladies. My wife had lost her voice, not able to talk. And uh, so I taught both of them. I told them, I, and I taught them about the importance of seeking wisdom. You know what seeking wisdom is? I have a decision to make. I've never made this decision before. But here's three men that have already made that decision. Hey, look at me. Here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is not walking blindly as a fool into a decision, seeing what the devil and his peddlers have to offer. But here's three men that's made the decision. So I say, you've made this decision. What do you think? You've made this decision. What do you think? You've made this decision. They already made. Hey, can we have enough sense to say I'd like to know what's down the road. That's why those signs are there. That, uh, would, would, would it not just make sense? The Bible says wisdom cries out. Wisdom wants to help us. You know what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 1? You know what happens if you ignore wisdom? I'll laugh at you in calamity. Here's what we often do. When calamity comes, we pray. Listen to me. We ought to pray before we make the decision. Amen. 
I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just preaching what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 1. Wisdom crieth out, can I help you? Can I help you? Can I help you? You know, I got this all by myself. We come over here and calamity takes place. Oh, Lord, help me. And you see wisdom. You know what wisdom's doing? Laughing. There's no need for that. My heart's desire and prayer is that we would have enough wisdom to say, what do you think I should do? What do you think I should do? Give me understanding in the last of all. I prayed that our next generation would rear their children to serve the Lord. First John has meant a great deal to me since Dr. Arnold's final two years of life. Dr. Arnold at age 99 and at age 100, he went to heaven in his 101st year of life. And as I thought about his life and I thought about the generations of his life, I studied the third, uh, the three epistles of John, first, second, third John. And John writes to his children, to his children. And he writes to a third generation, the third generation from the very person of Christ turned their back on truth and Christ himself. My prayer. And this prayer is found... I don't know how many times, 20 plus times. My prayer is for my children, our children, to rear their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Can we just go ahead and admit, we as parents and grandparents, we are not perfect and have never claimed to be. You know what we're attempting to do? We're attempting to rear our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If you think finding one mistake dismisses all truth, then you can just go ahead and throw us away because there are many mistakes to be found. But may I say, as we do our best to rear our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, we say to our children, my prayer is that you would rear your children from the word of God in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. As I'll, I believe there are five weddings on my calendar in December. Three, four of those I think I conduct. I take serious every word of premarital counseling. I spend time in prayer for those couples before and after. I tell them all after marriage, I said, now I say to the ladies, you can bring him back for a checkup anytime you need to because sometimes a man gets out of line in six months. I want him to prosper. We want our children to do right. This is the standard. Our heart's desire is that you'll read it, follow it, and do it. Stand with me if you will.